You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. Well, we are on the tail end of this series called The Church Gone Wild. It's a study on the book of First Corinthians, we're taking the time to look at what's happening in this church. And the Bible says, has everything going for it. They've got the ability, they've got the wisdom, they've got the knowledge, they've got the leadership. They've got it all going for them. The problem is, they really have things out of order, out of sync. There's discrepancy going on in this church. There's things from the outside sneaking into the church. There's arguments and bickering back and forth between leadership. There's those that want to be in charge and others that want to be in charge. There's so many things. There's women that won't be quiet. Come on, somebody. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Actually, Paul did. No, so I'll tell you what. I can't tell you how many people gave me a hard time last week. They're like, well, pastor, I can't believe you said that women should be quiet. I didn't say that. You all didn't listen to the rest of the disclaimer that I gave in that. I read what Paul stated, and then I shared with you that he was talking to one church in one moment, in one time, uh, that were having difficulties in the house of God, and I explained what he meant by that. So if you missed that, make sure you grab the CD or listen to the podcast, and you can understand what Paul was talking about. Never did he really mean that women should never say anything at all. Because there were those that were prophesying, there were those that were praying. There's a lot of things happening there. Let me move on. Two weeks ago, we discussed the best way of life, and that way of life is love and showing love in all areas, even when the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, Pastor Andy. Uh, Last Sunday night, we talked about order in the church and how that affects each and every one of us. But tonight, I want to I want to wrap up over the last couple, next couple weeks this series. This week and next week will be the final two evenings of this challenging book. But tonight we find Paul looking at the greatest gift that's ever been given. The death and resurrection of Christ. The best gift that was ever given is the death and the resurrection of of Christ, Jesus willfully giving himself, surrendering himself, dying on a criminal's cross for you and for me. The problem that Paul was addressing was the fact that there were some in the Corinthian church that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. This posed an issue. In fact, since Corinth was a Greek city and the Greeks did not believe in the resurrection. This idea made its way into the church. And when Paul preached to the Athens and he shared that fact, he shared the fact that Jesus was resurrected, he was raised from the dead, there were some in attendance that actually laughed out loud at him. That might have been the first LOL, if you would. We find that account in Acts chapter 17, verse 32, they laughed at Paul as he shared Jesus was raised from the dead. But now Paul takes the time to face this issue head on. Take a look at our text. Chapter 15, verse 10, Paul states this, But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. And by the way, I titled tonight's message, I am what he is. All that I am is because God poured out his 
special favor on me and not without results. But I have worked harder than any other apostle. Yet it was not I but God who was working through me by grace. Paul had already been to Corinth. He had already preached the good news of Jesus Christ. He had already shared the fact that Jesus had died on a criminal's cross and was raised from the dead. And as a result, their faith and belief in the cross, many of them, was transformed. But a vital part of the gospel message was the fact that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead on the third day. After all, a dead Savior cannot save anyone. Let me say that again. A dead Savior can't save anyone. If Jesus had not been raised from the grave, there's no hope for us. Jesus is, in fact, alive and well. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave for you and for me. Praise God. Paul's readers had received the word, trusted Christ, been saved, and now we're standing on that word as the assurance of their salvation. The fact that they were standing firm was proof of their faith. Let me show you three proofs. Number one, the proof of Christ's resurrection, their own salvation. They're standing upon the word of God. They're believing on the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 and 2 says this, let me now remind you dear brothers and sisters of God of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Grab a hold of that. Sometimes we think that our transformation in Christ, our moment of salvation is just a moment and we don't need to do anything else. It's a process. You are saved instantaneously. Grab a hold of this. You're saved instantaneously. But the Bible says we work out our own salvation. What it means by that is it's a continual pressing forward. It's a continuous pursuing. It's a continuously reaching out to grab a hold of the things of God so that your maturity in Christ, your growth in Him can continue as you press in for more of who He is. You welcomed it then. You stand firm in its. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something else that was never true in the first place. Wow. I mean, he's calling, calling the shots right here. He's saying, look, guys, do you remember that good news that I shared with you? Do you remember that Jesus died on the cross? Do you remember that he rose from the grave? You affirmed that, you stood upon that, you gave yourselves to him. Now if you continue in that, you're in that process of faith, unless of course you believe all that hooey that's trying to come in the doors. That's the original Greek word, hooey. Maybe not. He'd already shared this and now they're standing upon the word. The second proof is this. 
the Old Testament scriptures. Verses 3 and 4 make this statement, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Come on, look at this. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave, just as the scripture said. The gospel message is the most important message that the church can ever offer. Let me say that again. The gospel message is the most important message that the church can ever offer. Yes, it's vital that the church make an impact upon our community. It's vital that the church make an impact upon our culture with social and community involvements. But these activities, they pale into comparison with the greatness and the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is more than a social club. The church is more than a benevolent organization. The church is more than a community rescue. The church is an avenue in which the good news of Jesus Christ can flow freely to impact the culture for all eternity. That's our responsibility. To go into all the world, to share the good news of Christ. What is that good news? That Jesus died on the cross. That he rose from the grave. He conquered death, hell, and the grave to give you hope. That's the good news of Christ. The basic historical facts of the gospel, they stand true. Many people were crucified in by the Romans, but only one innocent lamb, only one Savior ever died for the sins of the world. When Paul wrote, according to the Scripture, he was referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. Much of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament pointed to the sacrifice of Christ as the substitute as our Savior and our Redeemer, the annual day of atonement in Leviticus, the prophecies like Isaiah chapter 53, other prophecies, Psalm chapter 16, Psalm chapter 22, Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, and Psalm 2 verse 7. Prophecies pointing back to the crucifixion, resurrection of our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah. The third proof was the eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. You see, there were many people that watched the crucifixion that day. There were many that stood around, some of them scoffing at him, some of them poking at him, some of him pulling at his beard. And... But after the resurrection, he was seen by many believers who were able to testify to the fact that he was, in fact, alive and well. Paul makes a statement here in verse 5 through 8. He says, he or Christ was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive. And by the way, not now, but when Paul was writing this. Though some have died. <laughs> 
Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Peter and the other disciples had the opportunity to witness the resurrected Christ. John, Jesus' brother, became a believer once he saw Jesus in the resurrected body. He was seen by the crowd of approximately 500 at one time. It is thought that this could have been right before the ascension of Christ. But one of the greatest witnesses of the resurrected Christ was Paul himself. For as an unbeliever, he was soundly convinced that Jesus Christ was dead. That the law had won, that the Pharisees had won, that they had gotten rid of Jesus. He was no longer with them. The radical change in his life is certainly evidence that the Lord had indeed been raised from the dead. Paul made it very clear that his salvation was purely an act of God's grace. But that grace worked in and through him as he served the Lord. But at this point, the church in Corinth would say, yes, we agree that Jesus was raised from the dead. But then Paul would respond to them, if you believe that, you must believe in the resurrection of all the dead. Come on, grab a hold of this. We believe in this, but we don't believe in that. And Paul said, if you believe in Christ raising, you've got to believe in all that are raised. Theologian uh, Warren Wearsby stated this, if there is no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. Grab a hold of that. If he was not raised, there is no gospel to preach. If there's no gospel, then you have believed in vain and you are still in your sins. I want to read that section again. If there is no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. If he was not raised, there is no gospel to preach. If there's no gospel, then you have believed in vain and you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, then believers who have died have no hope. We shall never see them again. The conclusion is obvious. Why be a Christian if we have only suffering in this life and no future glory to anticipate? The resurrection is not just important, it is of first importance. Because all that we believe hinges This idea of the good news of Christ, the gospel of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, not just the death of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ, all that we are and all that we do and all that we hope for hinges on the fact that Jesus was raised from the grave. A dead Savior never saved anyone. So the question begs to be asked, Do you believe? Do you believe 
If you have not come to the place of fully believing and trusting in Christ, let me encourage you tonight, in this place, in this moment, give yourself to Him. He's the only one that can take you from where you are to where you need to be. He is the only one that has conquered, let me say it again, death, hell, and the grave so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. Do it tonight. So what do we do? What do we do with this good news? Look back at our text. Whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results. For I worked harder than any other apostle. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Three questions tonight, very quickly, that you need to ask yourself. Three questions. Number one, what are you? What are you? Another way to ask this is, what is it that defines you? Verse 15, Paul says, He, Christ, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Come on, take a look at this. He, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, died for everyone. Who is that? Every one of us. The good, the bad, the ugly. Every one of us. He died for us so that Those that believe in him, those that believe in Christ, and by the way, for God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. Come on. Don't you love how the gospel all fits together? I mean, just like a puzzle. Boom, boom, boom. boom. Here he is. He died for everyone so that those that believe in him in this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. What a release that is. This thing called life, it's hard. This thing called adulting, I don't like it. It's hard. Living for yourself is difficult. But when you can relinquish control, when you can give it to God, how much greater this life is. Jesus died for everyone. I love what Paul wrote in our text. Whatever I am... Whatever is on the inside of this, whatever I've become, whatever mold and shape that I now fit into, it's all because God poured out a special favor for me. There's not a single person that God doesn't love. Well, pastor, what about the the habitual liar? He loves them. What about the gossip, pastor? He loves them. What about the murderer? He loves them. What about the terrorist? He loves them. There's not a single person that God doesn't love. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world, except for... I'm making a list. For God so loved the world, all-inclusive. The Bible says He desires that none would perish. But that all would come to a place of knowing him. I love how the message paraphrase reads the same scripture. It says, he included everyone in his death. So that everyone 
could also be included in his life. Wow. Isn't that awesome? He included every one of us in in his death so that we could be a part of this new and this rich and this exciting life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. You see, without Christ, this is the best it gets. It's downhill from here. Can I be honest? If this is the best it gets, that's no bueno. That's no good. Man, but the moment you give yourself to Christ, I surrender all. Lord, take all of me. I want to give you who I am. I offer you my all. And the moment we begin to do that, suddenly we've got this new life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. He included us in his death so that we could join in his life. Not a a trapped, dead-end life, but a real, satisfying life. If you find yourself trapped without hope, let me encourage you, give yourself completely to him tonight. He wants to offer you the greatest gift of all. I can't tell you how many times I see people in town like, how's it going? Oh, it's good. Living the good life. I drove through one of the fast food restaurants a couple of months ago and as I pulled up to the window to, to pay, I said, asked the guy at the window, I said, hey, how are things going? Oh, living the dream, living the dream. I leaned over to Lauren, who was sitting in the passenger seat beside me. As he walked away, I said, well, if this is living the dream, he's got low expectations. You know what I'm saying? Living the dream. Man, we call this life, this is the good life. I'm living the good life. Can I give you a couple secrets about the good life. In this thing we call the, the good life, people feel exhausted. I'm tired all the time. I can't keep up with this pace. I'm just overloaded. Sooner or later, something's going to slow down. In this good life, people feel empty. I don't think I can give another thing. I'm stretched to the limits. If life is so good, why do I feel so empty on the inside? In this thing called the good life, people oftentimes feel enslaved. I feel trapped in a relationship. I feel trapped in debt. I feel trapped in the guilt of my past. I feel trapped in fear. I feel trapped by the expectation of those around me. I feel trapped by my schedule and my calendar. I just can't seem to find any way out. Maybe you feel like that, emptiness, exhaustion, trapped. I've got good news for you. There's an antidote. His name is Jesus. By the way, tonight, or this morning rather, we kicked off a brand new series that we're simply entitling Baggage, Live Free, Travel Lie. Let me encourage you, join us every single Sunday for the next five weeks as we process through many of the things that weigh us down, the baggage that we place upon ourselves and we're trying to carry them through life. I believe that Jesus wants to give a release and we began to see that in this place this morning. John chapter 14, we find a time when Jesus is discussing the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. He talks about obeying his commandments, how the Father will give the advocate, and then he makes a very bold statement. 
In verse 19 of John chapter 14, he says, In just a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you're going to see me because I am alive and you're about to come alive. Oh, now see, that's one of those moments that in the good old Assemblies of God Pentecostal church, that Sister Thrasher or Sister Shivers would have jumped to the middle of the aisle, kicked off their shoes, and hairpins would have gone flying. I'm just saying. Yes? Look at this. You're going, you're going to see me because I am alive and you're about to come alive. Oh, I just feel so dead on the inside. I feel so exhausted. I just can't seem to find a break. Everything is in, um, just pounding upon me. Everything seems to be closing in around me. You're about to come alive. Not because of who you are, not because of what you can do, but because of who he is and what he's done for you. There is hope, there's a future, there's a reason for tomorrow because of all that he is, now it's inside of you. That's who you are. See, if you have given your life to Christ, if you've turned things over to him, it's a new life. The old things have passed away and behold, the new is now alive found yourself still stuck, I'm going to encourage you to embrace that life that he's made available. I know it seems odd, I keep coming back to that idea tonight, but as I was preparing the message this week, and normally a Sunday night, this is kind of the, this is the season saint somewhat, and we're processing through books of the Bible, but as I was processing through this, in this moment, in this section, I couldn't help it time and time again, right in there, there's hope. There's a reason for tomorrow. If you haven't grabbed a hold of it, grab a hold of it tonight. So whoever you are, God is speaking to you. He says, you're about to come alive. Why are you walking around in a dead corpse? Why are you walking around in a casket? It's time to step out of death into life. That's only found through Christ. So who are you? What are you? The second question is this. What is the special favor? Verse 21 and 22 says this. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. The first one was, was a, um, Adam, yes, Adam and Eve, they, they sinned, and, and death came into the, into the world. And now the resurrection of the dead comes to another man that was Jesus. Well, I thought he was, he was God. Yes, he is fully God, but he's also fully man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will begin a new life. You are about to come alive. Come on, look at this. Everyone dies because we belong to Adam, but everyone who belongs to Christ, anyone that's given themselves to him, will begin a new life. We're given a new life in Christ. That's the special favor. Did he have to do that? Did God have to send Jesus to die on the cross? No. He could have looked down and said this. I gave them everything they needed. I put them in a perfect environment. They didn't even know they were naked. And they couldn't do the one thing I asked them to do. 
Well, they deserve what they get. He could have done that. But I believe in all of his love and his compassion. By the way, God is love. Who he is as an existence, the very definition of who he is is God is love. And I believe he looked over the whole course of time and he saw us and he said, you know what? I, I, I love them too much to let them continue down this path of destruction. So I'm going to give them a special favor. Jesus, here's how this is going to go down. I want you to go and I'm going to, I'm going to make you a baby. You're going to become a baby. Yeah, an infant, yeah. And, and I'm, you're going to be born to a peasant girl named Mary. You're going to be born in a stable. And yeah, there's going to be donkeys around. It's not going to be the best environment, but that's where you need to start. And I want you to live a life demonstration for them. And then I want you to climb on the cross and give yourself. Why? Because I love them. I want to give them hope and I want to give them a way. I want to give them a new life. You see, that's the special favor. For God so loved you that he sent Jesus to die on a cross. Jesus offers new life. But look closely at this stipulation. He says, everyone who belongs to Christ is given new life. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and I hear them say things like this. I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, I know God would never send me to hell. I'm a good person. Well, the question I asked them was not, are you a good person? Have you given your life to Christ? You see, I believe that hell is going to be jam-packed full of good people. People that are extremely nice. Some of them might be nicer than some of the Christians I know. I dropped the mic, but it's on my face, and that would hurt. True. There won't be any atheists there, is what Jimmy said. A lot of nice people, a lot of helpful people, a lot of generous people. Good people. But the problem is, they never accepted the favor, the special favor that Jesus set before them. They didn't belong to Christ. They never joined the family. But salvation is ours in and only in Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one that brought us from death unto life. He says a new life is beginning inside of you. You are about to come alive. He's the one that gave us the way out of sin. He's the one that loved us even when we were unlovable. Anybody else wants unlovable? He's the one that took us from death to life, to give us a better way out. You see, Jesus, his death and resurrection is a special favor. The third question I want to ask tonight is, am I saved by works? Are you saved by works? Remember, Paul said, all that I am is because all that Jesus did. Paul doesn't say, I'm saved because I'm a really good guy. 
I'm saved because I'm telling you the good news of Christ. I'm saved because I do all of these things for the glory of God. No, 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 no. He says all that I am, what I am through and through is because of all that Christ Jesus did for me. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. Look at your neighbor and say, it has nothing to do with you. Now, like seven of you follow that instruction. The rest of you need to repent. You're disobeying. So look at your neighbor and say, it has nothing to do with you. But it has everything to do with Christ. You can't do anything to save yourself. It was and it is all because of what God has done and the special favor that Jesus has done for you. A grace that he supplies in never-ending supply. It'll take you from where you once were, trapped, enslaved, bound in this old way of life to a life of freedom that isn't something that you have to wait for, but it's something that starts now. Man, we talked a lot about this anticipation. A new life is about to begin. But look at this scripture in 1 Peter. What a God we have. I was at a show choir competition yesterday. and After the students perform, they go into a, a clinic and a professional shares with them his thoughts and his ideas. One of the clinicians was trying to get the kids to give some sort of response. So he asked this question. He said, who is God? And I thought that was kind of a bold question. And actually, I think that he didn't realize what he was going to say until it was out of his mouth. Because the kids are like, he's loving. He's gracious. And then the clinician says, he's mean. He's hateful. You see, he tried to put some sort of disclaimer on that. And then he, then he corrected himself. He says, just so you know, I don't believe those things. He goes, I'm just trying to get a response out of you. And so I ask you, what kind of God do you serve? A loving God? A gracious God? One that offers special favor. One that gives you a way out and a, and a new hope. What a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life. And everything to live for. Including a future in heaven. But here's the part of the scripture I love. And that future. ah, It starts now. We don't have to wait. For that glorious day. When the skies part. And. Jesus calls us home. Our future begins now. You're about to come alive. It's not in my ability. It's not in my strength. It's not in my might. But by the grace of God that we've been saved. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by His grace. When you believed. You can't take credit for it. 
I can't take credit for it. It's a special favor. It's a free gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Church, it's time for each and every one of us to stop trying to earn our way. But to surrender. To give ourselves to Him. It's time to stop trying to do things out of duty or obligation or even guilt. But it's time to press forward with Him out of love and gratitude for what He's done. He's conquered it all so that you can have life. Your future starts now. Come on, go back to that slide before this. I want to read this again. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. All that I am is because all that He is. Not me.